five days and counting until Halloween, my fellow ghouls and ghoulettes. And you know I have a major surprise for you. (laughs) So, uh, welcome my friends to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcast, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and tonight's episode is entitled Blind Fate, whereas both stories tonight, our protagonists are shrouded in darkness, physically and mentally. So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. The two radio series highlighted tonight are Inner Sanctum and The Whistler. We start off with the radio play Detour to Terror. And this was first broadcasted on Inner Sanctum on May 21st, 1940. Six. Following that is the radio play In the Dark. And this was first broadcasted on The Whistler, February 7th, 1943. So, you all know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Detour to Terror, followed by In the Dark. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soups present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host waiting to act as your guide through the squeaking door on a specially prepared travelogue. Mm-hmm. First, we'll take a little jaunt with Jeopardy along the path of peril, where we'll prowl with panic until we take the left turn into Horror Highway and thence via Terror Turnpike straight into the road to ruin. <laughs> I don't think I like your itinerary, Mr. Host. If you don't mind, I'd much rather take a shortcut to the Highway of Happiness via the kitchen. And uh, pray tell us, by what signpost shall we recognize your blithesome Highway of Happiness, Mary? Well, you'll just know you're headed for pleasure when you take your first taste of swell Lipton tea. Because, oh, what a world of contentment there is in every cupful. What flavor, what wide-awake flavor. No wonder the tea experts say there's only one word to describe Lipton's, and that's brisk. No wonder more folks enjoy Lipton's than any other brand of tea in the world. It's because Lipton tea never tastes dull, flat, or dreary. It's always lively and cheery. Yes, 
Lipton's is the world's favorite tea. And it will be your favorite, too, once you taste that brisk Lipton flavor. So be sure you try Lipton tea. Listen now to the strange tale of a boy and his twin sister and their dog and the records of Hurricane Cove. It's called Detour to Terror. An original radio play written especially for Inner Sanctum by Emil Teppelman. And here is Mason Adams as Jerry Watson to tell you the story himself. I had a strange, uneasy feeling all evening after Linda left to drive to Hurricane Cove. Somehow I had a presentiment of danger. Linda and I were twins, and always, in some uncanny way, each of us had been able to sense when the other was in trouble. Tonight, the feeling was very strong. Butch sensed it, too. He was only a mongrel pup, but he was smart. I shouldn't have let Linda go alone, but she had insisted. She was a feature writer for the Manhattan Magazine, and she'd run across the trail of a story about an old family of wreckers who lived down by the shore near Hurricane Cove. The tale went that this family had made a living in the old days by placing false signals on the shore in order to lure ships onto the rocks and then loot them. It was this story that she'd gone to investigate. Unwilling to go to bed with that uneasy feeling lying heavy upon me, I dozed in the chair by the fire with Butch's whine in my ears. It must have been a dream because I saw Linda's white face floating in a sort of haze. And then I saw the fear in her eyes as she called to me. Jerry! Jerry, help me! Help me! I came awake suddenly with a cold sweat on my face. Butch was on his haunches by the fireplace, nose in the air and howling as if for the dead. I felt myself trembling. Linda, Linda in danger. Somewhere, somewhere out in that storm, Linda was calling to me for help. She needed me terribly. Come on, Butch, we're going after her. Within 20 minutes, I was speeding through the storm out along Highway 9. I remembered Linda's telling me just what route she'd take. See, Jerry, I'll go out on 9 to here and then turn off on the old shore road. It isn't used much anymore, but it's the shortest route to Hurricane Cove. And if I leave now, I should be there by midnight. The mist lay heavy on the old shore road, and the rain drove against the windshield, and the swirling fog played strange tricks with my eyes. But I knew I was almost an hour behind Linda, and I had to make time. Now, don't worry, Butch. We'll catch up to her. We'll find her. I could only go faster. It's fog. I can't see 20 feet ahead of me. Hey! It's a red lantern on the road. What? What? It's a detour sign. Bridge ahead, washed out. Detour. What will I do, Butch? How do I know what Linda did? Did she drive straight ahead or did she take the detour? I've got to know I can't sit here. Wait. We'll take the detour, Butch. And pray it's the right choice. This detour isn't taking us anywhere, Butch. 
I don't think Linda came this way. Maybe she didn't see the detour sign back there. Drove into the washed-out bridge. Maybe that's what the danger was. No, she couldn't have missed that red lantern, even in the fog. She must have turned off. She must have come this way. Hey! There's the car, boy. storming the ditch and blocking the road. It's Linda's car. Come on, let's get to her quick. Gosh, it's coming down and fucking... Never mind the lightning. Let's go. She's not in the car, Butch. I don't see her in the car. Oh, no, she's not in here. Linda! Linda! Where could she have gone, Butch? She was always scared of thunder and lightning. Linda! How can we look for her in the dark and the fog? What is it, Butch? What have you found over there? I'm coming, Butch! I'm coming! Where, Butch? Where, behind the tree? All right. Linda. Linda. She's not... She... Linda. Open your eyes. It's Jerry, Linda. Oh, oh. Linda, don't... Don't be scared, Linda. Everything's all right. It's me. It's Jerry. Oh, oh Linda. Jerry. Yeah. Oh, thank heaven. Oh, Jerry, take me away from here. Sure, kid. Come on. Here, I'll, I'll help you out. Come on. My car's over this way. I must have fainted. I knew you'd come, Jerry. I had a feeling you would. I was afraid it might be too late. Here, get in the car. Yeah. Come on in, Butch. <coughs> Gosh, you're soaked to the skin, kid. What happened here? Well, there... There was a man. He was hiding up there behind a tree. The headlights caught him when I got stalled in the ditch. How'd you come to land in the ditch? Well, there's a tree lying across the road. See, look over there. You can just see it in the headlights. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Gosh, it's a big one. Must have been struck by the lightning. That's what I thought at first. But when I got out to look at it, I saw that it wasn't struck by lightning. Why? Jerry, that tree has been deliberately cut. Linda, are you sure? Sure I am. It's been cut by a saw. The minute I looked at it, I realized it wasn't any accident. Somebody meant to block this road. Great Scott. Well, I hurried back into the car and I tried to turn around. I wanted to go back. You couldn't have turned around anyway. This road is too narrow. No, well, I was too scared to realize that. I started backing up and the rear wheels landed in the ditch. And it was just then that I saw the man. He was coming out from behind the tree and he was all hunched up so I couldn't see his face. Then when the headlights struck him, he ducked back and he disappeared. Well, I was afraid to stay in the car, so I jumped out and I started to run. Then I could hear him coming after me. And I must have tripped and my head struck something. That's all I knew till you found me. Are, are you sure it was a man you saw again? Yeah, positive, Jerry. I don't get it. What was the idea of blocking the road? What's the matter, boys? He hears something. Look over there. Someone running through the woods carrying something. I'm going after him. Careful, Jerry. Look. Butch has that man by the trousers. Oh, he kicked Butch. Hey, you don't just kick my dog. Hey, Come on, back here, you. Hey, I'm coming with you. Oh, it's no use. He ran away in the night. Uh, are you all right, Butch? Look, Jerry. Whoever he was, he dropped what he was carrying. Uh, what is it? It looks like a big board of some kind. Here, I'll turn the flashlight on. Oh, it's a sign. 
has lettering on it. What's it say? Well, it says... Great Scott. What is it, Jerry? It says, bridge ahead, washed out. Detour. Jerry, this is the detour sign from the highway. Yeah. They only put it up there to lure you onto this back road. Then they blocked the road with a tree. Kid, it looks like we're in some kind of a trap. have we got these poor people into? Imagine finding that poor twin sister unconscious behind the tree. And it took Butch to find her, too. I wonder what kind of a tree it was. Oh, probably a dogwood tree. As you can always tell a dogwood tree by its bark. <laughs> There's poor Linda in all that trouble, and here you go, making puns. I, I can't help it, Mary. That's my nature. I to know it's your nature by now. And I ought to know, too, you can't change people. Take those of us who like to start each day off with piping hot Lipton tea. Why, nothing in the world could change us. In fact, breakfast just wouldn't be breakfast without Lipton. Lipton tea just seems to go with a bright bowl of gay yellow jonquils and sunny-checked gingham tablecloth and, of course, the morning paper. Part of the reason is Lipton's deep amber color and tempting aroma. But the big reason breakfast wouldn't be right without Lipton's is Lipton's grand, brisk flavor. It's so lively and tingling with zip. Just a cup or two of Lipton's and your spirits catch on and your day's off to a bright start. Yes, breakfast time or any time is the right time to enjoy Lipton tea. So for real tea-drinking pleasure, ask your grocer tomorrow for brisk Lipton tea. Let's get back to our story now and see what happens along that deadly detour. I have a hunch that Jerry and Linda are in for a lot of trouble. Trouble and twins, you know, never come singly. We got back in my car, wet and shivering, Linda, Butch, and I. We tried to figure out what to do. Don't you see, Jerry? This is the way those old-time wreckers used to work. They'd place false signals on the shore so that the ships would be lured onto the rocks. Mm -hmm. You think that phony detour sign back there... It was there. just like a false signal to a seaman. It lured us onto this back road. When they get good and ready, they'll come for us. Maybe you're right, kid. Well, Jerry, we can't just sit here and wait to be murdered. Look, wind up there in the hill through the trees. See those lights? Looks like a big house. Hey, maybe they've got a phone. We could call the police. Uh-huh. And maybe... Maybe what, Jerry? Nothing. You think maybe they're the ones who lured us here? Well, I'll have to take the chance, Linda. The ground here is so soft. Isn't there a path through these woods? There is. We could never find it now. <sighs> Anyway, this is the quickest. There are the lights of the house. Up ahead through the trees. They're such big trees. So old and bare. 
They look like evil things. Like they're waiting to twine their arms around us and crush us. Quit it, kid. You'll work yourself up for nothing. We'll be at the house in a minute. What? What is it? The lights, they went out. The house, it's all dark. Quiet, Gretchen. Why did they put the lights out, Jerry? Maybe they went to sleep. What do we do? We'll go up and ring the bell. That's what we'll do. Jerry. What? Do you hear that? Yeah. Yeah, someone playing the piano in there. In the dark. Oh, it sounds uncanny. Come on, I'm going to ring the bell. Piano stopped? Yeah. I think I hear someone coming. Still no lights? Excuse me, the creeps. Someone's opening the door. Good evening. Caught in the storm, eh? Won't you come in? Uh, your lights, aren't they working? <laughs> How stupid of me. I'd forgotten. Yeah. That better? Yeah, yes, thank you. Uh, I, I'm Jerry Watson. This is my sister, Linda. This is Butch. How do you do? My name is Considine. Gregory Considine. And you're quite welcome, I assure you. Mr. Considine, there's been a tree cut across the road down there. Tree? Cut? You mean struck by lightning? I don't think so, sir. I think it was done deliberately. I'd like to use your phone to call the police. Hmm. I'm so sorry. The phone is out of order. The storm, you know. I'm sure you must be mistaken about tree. You must be soaked through and through. Please follow me into the library. I'll get you some dry clothes. Jerry, did you see his eyes? He's blind. That's why I was playing the piano in the dark. Right in here, please. It's a nice crackling fire. You can warm up while I ring for my handyman. Matt will be here in a moment. I heard what you said to your brother, Miss Watson. Oh, I'm sorry. Not at all. I managed quite well. You live alone here, Mr. Considine? Uh, just my brother Vincent and I, and Matt, of course. We seldom see strangers here. No one uses this old back road. Mr. Considine, someone put a phony detour sign out on the main road. Really? Sounds almost incredible. Ah, here's Matt. You uh, ring for me, Mr. Gregg? Matt... This is Miss Watson and her brother, and... and Butch. They've been caught in the storm. I think there's some dry clothing in the west room. Yes, Mr. Gregg. Here, yeah, this way, please. Are you in there, Gregg? What have you done with those people? Oh, dear. It's my brother Vincent. I'm afraid I'll have to ask a favor of you. Please overlook anything Vincent may say. He's, shall I say, a bit... Strange. Oh, here you are. Well, introduce me to your friends, Greg. Go upstairs, Vincent. 
Go upstairs, Vincent. Is that all you have to say to your brother? What are you going to do to these people? What are you planning for them? Vincent. You can't shut me up. Look here, mister. And young lady, take a bit of advice from me. Don't stay in this house overnight, or you'll never live to see the morning. Get out, quick. Matt, you know what to do. No. Yes, Mr. Gregg. No, please, keep away from me, Matt. Keep away. I warn you, Mr. Get your sister out of me. No, let go of me, Matt. Hey, he knocked him out. I regret that it was necessary, Mr. Watson. Vincent is difficult at times. Please pay no attention to what he said. I'm very sorry that you had to witness this painful scene. Uh, Matt, please carry Mr. Vincent upstairs and lock him in his room. I hope you like these rooms. Yes, thank you. Yes, I'm sure we'll be comfortable, Mr. Considine. They're adjoining rooms, as you see. And these doors bolt on the inside. I advise you to keep them locked all night. We sure will. Thank you for these dry clothes and for the tea. You're quite welcome, I assure you. Now just try to get a good night's sleep. Everything will be all right in the morning. Oh, Jerry, I'm scared. So is Butch. And so am I. What'll we do? First thing to do is bolt the door. Blind. Yet he frightens me, Jerry. The way he ordered his brother knocked down. Jerry, there's something I've got to tell you. What is it, kid? The name of that family of old-time wreckers. It's Considine. You mean these are the people... Their ancestors used to loot ships. And now they're working on motorists. Poor Vincent tried to warn... Jerry, what are we going to do? We've got to get out of here before they come up to finish us off. Let's take a look out the window. Oh, it's pitch black out there. Look, by the streak of lightning, did you see? Yes, I did. That man, that Matt, standing under the tree with a rifle. We're stuck. No escape. What's that? Someone tapping against the wall. In there. Can you hear me? Who is it? It's Vincent. I'm in the room next door to you. It's locked on the outside. Can you get me out? We'll be right there. Quiet, Butch. Oh, Jerry, maybe there's a chance. If Vincent will help us. Come on, kid. Yeah. No noise. Shh. Come on. Here, this is the door. Look, it's bolted on the outside. They must keep them locked up all the time. Well, here goes. Vincent? Here I am. Don't make any noise. My brother has ears like a cat. And don't let him fool you. He may be blind, but he's more dangerous than any man who can see. How are we going to get out of here? Matt's watching outside with a rifle. Listen. The piano. My brother is amusing himself in the dark. He always plays the piano when he has something on his mind. Do you know any way for us to get out of here? Well, there's only a slim chance. Now listen to me carefully. The only chance is to get out the back way. But you have to pass the open living room door downstairs. 
And Greg is in there at the piano. What do we do? You wait here. I'll go down first. See if they've left the cellar door unlocked. I'll come back for you. Please, don't move until I return. Be careful. Don't worry. I will. Jerry, what'll happen if Greg hears him? Greg will probably call Matt and then lock him up again. And what'll become of us? We'll worry about that later. Jerry, he stopped playing. Yeah. Do you think he heard Vincent coming down? (laughs) Jerry, Greg caught him. What'll we do? Come on, we're going down. Lights are all out down here. I don't hear anything. Where do you think Greg is? Maybe waiting to jump us in the dark. Come on, I don't care. Stick behind me. We're going in the living room. Where's Butch? I don't know. Oh. What is it? My foot touched on me. A body. Oh. Then I'm going to take a chance on the flashlight. Stand back. All right. Oh. Great sky. What is it? Look. What is it? That isn't Vincent. It's Greg. He's been stabbed. Watch out. Vincent. Somewhere around. Kill you. What do you mean? My brother Vincent. The one who's been doing the wrecking. We always keep him locked up. But tonight, he got away. Planted the detour aside. Cut the trees. Vincent did all that. Matt and I, we tried to stop him. Matt went out to the road, took down the detour sign, but it was too late. Oh, John, he'll be back to kill you. He's dead. Jerry. Poor Greg. And we thought of... The lights... Thank you for waiting for me. Vincent! Where'd you get that rifle? From Matt. He won't need it anymore. What are you going to (laughs) do? What do you think? You're crazy. Well, aren't we all? Now, my good friends, if you'll just say a prayer. Any little prayer will do. point that gun at my sister. It won't do you any good to stand in front of her. This rival is a 30-30. Now... If you're ready. Jerry, he's mad. Look out! Quit! Let go of the gun! The gun went off in his face. Oh, Jerry. Take it easy, kid. He's dead. Don't don't look at him. He isn't pretty to look at. What you did all right. Oh, kid, it can write your feature story now. The story of the records of Hurricane Cove. And it'll be under your own byline, too. Oh, I'm going to write it under a double byline, Jerry. The records of Hurricane Cove by Linda Watson and Butch. to have a byline. Uh-huh, you like it. You like collaborating, don't you? 
Uh-huh. Especially with a pretty girl like Linda, huh? <laughs> Which just goes to prove that there's a little bit of wolf in the best of dogs. But do you know the difference between a wolf call and a wolf whistle, Mr. Host? Uh, let me think. When a fellow gives a wolf whistle, he's starved for love. And when he gives a wolf call, he's just plain starved. In which case, there's just one thing to do. Feed him. But if you really want to appeal to his better nature, see that he winds up every meal with a good big cup of satisfying Lipton tea. Men certainly go for that brisk Lipton flavor. It's so lively and full of zip. So make a note right now to ask your grocer for Lipton tea tomorrow morning. Once you taste full-bodied Lipton tea, you'll know why you find Lipton tea in more teacups than any other brand of tea in the world. For Lipton is tea at its delicious best. Start enjoying it real soon. Get the tea with brisk flavor. Get Lipton tea. A parting word of advice, friends. If you should ever awake from a hideous nightmare and find yourself driving in a mental fog along a lane that has no turning with madmen lurking behind trees waiting to strike you down, and strange beasts with red tongues lapping at your ankles, and the bare and ugly trees stretching forth their gnarled arms to crush you, and there is no escape, no escape at all. Why worry about it? You won't come out alive anyway. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Benefit Performance by Richard Say. And next week, the makers of Lipton Tea and Lipton Soups will bring you another Inner Sanctum story directed by Hyman Brown and called Murder in the Night. Correction. There'll be three murders. You know, it's going to take a lot of nerve to hear this tale out, so I don't suppose you'll be listening. That is, unless you've just got to find out how a brass button in a dead man's hand traps the murderer. If so... Tune in to Inner Sanctum next week at the same time. Until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. Here's a good way to lead off a meal. Serve quick, grand-tasting, chickeny Lipton's noodle soup. The first taste of Lipton's noodle soup takes you back to Grandma's own country kitchen. But you get Grandma's results in a jiffy because Lipton's noodle soup is a real old-fashioned noodle soup with oodles of tender noodles in savory golden broth that's easy to fix and costs little. Ask for Lipton's when you ask for noodle soup and you'll hear your folks ask for more. And tune in next week for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. the strange tales of the Whistler?
I'm the whistler. You can't leave me now, Elizabeth. I need you. I've just come from Dr. Elston. It's my eyes. I, I'm on the verge of going blind. Another Sunday night, and again CBS presents The Whistler. I, the whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. And so I tell you tonight the extraordinary story of In the Dark. Thomas Northcott was a very busy man, a marine architect, a wealthy shipbuilder. And by the summer of 1940, he found himself working harder than ever and longer hours. He became the victim of severe headaches. So finally, he visited his friend and physician, Dr. John Elston. The pain isn't constant, you say, Tom? No, it comes and goes. When it strikes, it's almost unbearable. Been working unusually long hours, haven't you? Yes. All day and for the past six months till midnight. What do you think is wrong with me? Well, when a man passes 40, he's subject to a lot more things than when he's younger. Yes, but what is wrong with me? Pretty exacting work, yours. Why don't you tell me? Can't afford to spend the day here. Oh, don't get excited. Calm down, I'll tell you. But you won't like to hear it. What? You... You don't think I'm losing my mind? I didn't say that. But that's what you mean. Please, Tom. That's ridiculous. Why, I've known all about my family for 200 years back. Not a trace of insanity in one of them. I said nothing about insanity. Well, then, what are you talking about? Well, it is possible, however, to throw yourself completely off balance by overwork. Worry, mental strain. I know, I know. Your nerves are shot to pieces. What does Elizabeth think about your working like this? I don't know. What can she say? It's got to be done. Well, Tom, you're going to let someone else do it for a while. What? I mean it. You're headed for a nervous breakdown. And something else. What else? Blindness. Good heavens. You have an eye condition which has become aggravated by environment. What can be done about it? Stop work immediately, rest... Get outdoors, get away. For how long? Month at least, maybe longer. Put that yacht you built to some use. It's been tied up for over a year. Are you sure about all this? Positive. All right, John. I have no choice in the matter. I'll drop in again in a few days. Of course. Goodbye, Tom. So Tom, completely flabbergasted, goes back to his office and tries to finish some plans and specifications. But he cannot keep his mind on the work, so he goes home early. Well, good evening, Mr. Northcott. Good evening, Billings. This is most unusual. I, I mean, uh, we didn't expect you for dinner. I know. I didn't feel so well this afternoon. I'm sorry, sir. Isn't Elizabeth having dinner here? Uh, no, sir. Mrs. Northcott hasn't had dinner in for several weeks. I didn't know that. Uh, she's been going out every evening. Well, I don't want much. Something uh, light. Very good, sir. Oh, uh, there's a letter for you in oh, the library. A letter? Yes, sir. Thanks, Billings. Letter, eh? Hmm. Certainly not a business letter. No return address. If your wife Elizabeth doesn't stay away from a certain man. There's going to be a scandal in this town that you won't like. A friend. Good heavens. Stay away from a certain man. Billings, 
Billings. Yes, Mr. Northcote. Do you know where Mrs. Northcote has gone? No. Did she say who she was to meet? No, she never does. Just goes out for the evening? Oh, sometimes in the afternoon as well. I see. Uh, you look a bit pale, sir. Shall I call Dr. Elson? No, Billings, I... I don't think he could be of much help at the moment. I'll be all right. Good night. <laughs> Tom moves slowly up the stairs to his room and goes to bed. He has difficulty falling asleep, stares into the darkness, and through his mind runs the phrase, a certain man, a certain man. But what man? Finally, he drops off to sleep. He rises early and without seeing Elizabeth, goes to the office to wind up his affairs, then arrives home early again. But Elizabeth is not there. Elizabeth is sitting in a cocktail lounge with Charles Carroll, her attorney. I never see Tom anymore. He leaves early, comes in late. Business, business, business. I just can't go on like this. It's driving me mad. You're no different from a lot of women in this country. Production is speeded up and there's nothing a man can do about it. But if Tom loved me, he could find a little time to spend with me. Do you still love Tom? I did, but his indifference has made me cold as a cucumber. Yes, but you have everything. Money, position. Why throw it away? This condition may only be temporary. I can't understand you, Charles. We went through puppy love together. Went through school together. Then we drifted apart and I met Tom. Why can't you understand me? Because for three weeks now, and I've seen you almost every day, you of all people have been trying to talk me out of divorcing Tom. That's right. But do you want me to go on like this? I want you to be sure, Elizabeth. I am sure. Are you afraid you'll lose some business if I divorce Tom with you as my attorney? Elizabeth, you know I'm terribly fond of you. I always have been and always will be. Your happiness means a great deal to me. That's why I don't want you to take this step until we're sure that you'll not be sorry later. You're the one who isn't sure. Darling, it's for your own good. Please wait. All right, Charles. That's the way you feel. I'll wait. Can you drop me off at my place? Yes, I can. Uh, But... But what? Well, look, Elizabeth, I'm going to be very busy for the next two or three days. And we've talked over this situation for weeks, so... Suppose you think on it for a while and... Make up your own mind. And call me. Why, of course, Charles. I have been taking a lot of your time lately. I'm sorry. It's all right, darling. Come along. Charles takes Elizabeth home and leaves her at the door. Tom Northcott is in the library waiting, waiting for Elizabeth. Tom? What on earth are you doing home so early? Well, I'm certainly surprised. Are you? What's happened? What did you do this afternoon? The same thing I do every afternoon and every evening. Try to kill time. I suppose it has been rather boring lately. Since I've had to spend so much time at the plant. Yes, it has. Been playing bridge a lot, have you? Yes. Bridge and parties. Oh, there are a number of things one can do when one has to. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. But this extra heavy load of business is not of my own making. I thought you would understand. I understand that you work hard, that you're very busy. But even when you're here, you seem to be completely unaware of my presence. You come in late, go to your room without a word, get up with the birds and leave without a word. I wasn't aware of that. But I suppose it's true. I was able to stand it at first. 
And then I became horribly lonely. So lonely, I couldn't bear this house another moment. So I started going out here and there. That should have helped? For a while. You had changed, Tom. I did attribute it to business, but when you changed so completely, became so indifferent toward me, I suddenly realized that you no longer loved me. And then I changed. You changed? Yes. Finding some way to occupy my time is no longer the difficulty. No? What is the difficulty? My difficulty is forcing myself to come back to this empty shell each night. You think I... I don't care for you? What else could I think? You're saying you've lost your affection for me. Yes. And you found someone who is more... more attentive? I have many friends whose company is most pleasant. A man? Friends. Men and women. Friends who understand. Elizabeth, they don't understand. And you don't understand. In another moment, you'll be telling me you want to leave me. I do. I can't stay here any longer. Then we'll both leave. Together. What? This is all a complete misunderstanding, Elizabeth. We love each other, regardless of what you think. This can be remedied very easily. No, Tom. Please listen to me. I... I need your help. Help? What do you mean? For some time now, I... I've been ill. I've said nothing about it. But it's grown worse. The pain has increased. Pain? Yes. In my head. In my eyes. Flashes of light. I... I went to see Dr. Elston. John. Yes. Dr. Elston. He told me that I must quit work, take a complete rest, or go blind. Blind? Oh, Tom, how awful. We'll take the yacht, Elizabeth. A long cruise. It'll save my sight, and it'll help us, too. We can pick up where we apparently left off. But, Tom... Please, Elizabeth, I need you. All right, Tom. I'll go. We can leave in a few days. And we needn't go alone. If you prefer, we can have some guests along. Would that help? Yes, Yes, I believe it would. Very well. Uh, who would you like? You select someone you'd like to have along, and I'll select someone. Uh, people we both know. Yes. Well, I... I'd like to have... Yes? Dr. Elston. John? You'd like to have him along? Very much. He's charming company, and besides, he may prove valuable. Then it's John Elston. Mm-hmm. I'll ask him tomorrow. And say, uh, how about Charles Carroll? Always like Charlie. And Marge Durant. They're, they're still engaged, aren't they? Why, I don't know. By George, Elizabeth, I'm going to enjoy this trip. I feel better already. I wonder if the doctor will join us. I'm sure he will. Well, if he turns me down, I'll let you talk to him. I'm sure you can persuade him. <laughs> Next day, Tom visits the doctor, John Elston. And after some persuasion, the doctor accepts the invitation. Then Tom runs into Marge Durant in the doctor's waiting room. Well, hello there, Marge. How are you? All right. Haven't seen you or Charlie in some time. How is Charlie? Oh, all right, I guess. You guess? Haven't you seen him? Don't tell me you two have broken off your engagement. Oh, no, not officially. Charles has been exceptionally busy for several weeks. Well... You mustn't be too hard on us men in times like these. We don't mean to be neglectful. No. I'm taking a cruise in the old yacht. Going to leave in a few days. We've gone several weeks. How would you like to join us? Us? Yes. Elizabeth and me. And Dr. Elston. He's just accepted. Well, 
I'd love to go. We all need to get away from things now and then. We certainly do, but I don't... Oh, I've already asked Charlie. And he said he'd love to go, if I could persuade you to go. <laughs> Charles said that? He did. So you'll have a chance to see him every day. Well, I'll be tickled to death to join you. Good. The party's complete. Come aboard Saturday night. We'll sail early in the morning. See you later, Marge. <laughs> Now it is Saturday evening, the eve of departure. After an early dinner, Tom, suffering from severe head pains, goes to the library where he dozes in an armchair. Tom? Tom? Tom, wake up. Huh? What? Oh, Elizabeth. I must have had quite a nap. Well, the pains are gone. I'm glad of that. It's 8.30. we better leave for the yacht. 8.30? Good heavens. Turn on the lights, Elizabeth. What? Push the switch. Tom. What's wrong, Elizabeth? Tom, the, the lights are on. What? Elizabeth. Yes, I... I just turned them on. Good Lord. It's happened. Oh, Tom, I'm terribly sorry. Shall I call the doctor? No. no wait. We'd better cancel the trip. No, no, please, I... I'd rather go on. And I'd rather we didn't say anything about this. I, I'm sure it'll pass. We'll go ahead. And I'll bluff it through for a while. You'll help me. Won't you, Elizabeth? Yes, Tom. I'll help you. notifies his skipper that he'll be late in coming aboard. Then when he is sure his guests on the yacht have retired, he and Elizabeth arrive, and he goes to his cabin. Next morning, the guests lounge in the sun on the after deck. Tom appears and moves along the deck to the stern, stops, and leaning against the rail, lights his pipe. Morning, everybody. Wonderful day, isn't it? Yeah, clear as crystal. Where are we going? Does it matter, Marge? This is a cruise to nowhere. <laughs> the lesson we know about where we're going, the bigger surprise we get when we get there. Don't you know? No, my skipper does. Makes it more interesting, don't you think, Doc? I suppose so. That was Elizabeth's idea. Wasn't it? Are you asking us? Oh, uh, I thought Elizabeth... That is, uh, I thought she told you. It's a swell idea, just the same. Eh, Charles? Yeah, it's all right with me. Hope the weather stays like this. Yes, I was wondering about those dark clouds gathering off there. They mean anything, Tom? Oh, yeah, yes. Well, maybe, maybe not. Pretty black, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are. Where are you looking? Over here, Tom, on the port side. Huh? Oh, 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 those. Well, they are dark, but we may see them for days and never contact them. I hope you're right. I'm not much of a sailor. No. How about you, Elizabeth? Oh, good morning, dear. Sleep well? I've had the best rest in years. You look lovely this morning. Tom. Tom, what's wrong with you? What do you mean? Good morning, folks. Sorry to be such a sleepyhead, but I was dead tired. Well, how do you feel, Tom? Why, I... Confound it, my best pipe. I'll get it. Wait a minute. If Tom can get it, it's right at his feet. Tom. Here it is, Tom. When did this happen? Last... Last evening. 
You weren't going to tell me. I'm going to bluff it through. Yes, sir. You knew it was going to happen this soon, but you said if I took a rest, it'd be all right. I didn't want to alarm you. I hoped my diagnosis was wrong. But you knew it wasn't. I'm sorry. Tell Captain Baker I want to see him in my cabin. Please forget all this and try to enjoy yourselves. I'll help you to your cabin, Tom. No, thanks, Charlie. I, I designed this ship. I built it. I know every corner and cranny. What a rotten shame. Poor Tom. Poor fellow. That evening after dinner, Elizabeth visits Dr. Elston in his cabin. A half hour later, Tom gropes his way along the rolling deck toward the doctor's room. Elizabeth has just left. Come in, Doctor. I couldn't quite hear. Storm coming up. Yes, of course. Come in, Tom. I wanted to talk with you, John, before I turned in. Certainly. Sit down, Tom. Yes. Here we are. Not a bad storm. Not bad at all. This will blow over. Yes, I suppose so. Oh, that's strange. That odor. You don't smoke, do you, John? Well, once in a while. Why? I smell a strong odor of tobacco. The same peculiar aromatic blend Elizabeth uses. Well, it's quite possible. Elizabeth was just here. Really? Poor girl. She's terribly upset about me. Came to talk over my condition? Yes, she's quite worried. I can imagine. And you're worried, too. Aren't you, John? Well, I... I'm concerned... Oh, this is a terrible thing. One can't possibly realize how terrifying it is until it happens to him. I think I can fully appreciate it, Tom. Can you? I wonder. Think you'd better turn in. Well, perhaps you're right. I should steel myself against sympathy. Sympathy of others and sympathy for myself. Poor Elizabeth. I feel sorriest for her. What a fate. To be tied down to a blind man for the rest of her life. She'll understand. I'll look after Elizabeth. Will you, John? That's awfully good of you. I appreciate that. Better run along to bed, Tom. Get all the rest you can. Yes. Yes, of course. Good night, John. Good night. The next evening after dinner, Elizabeth is in her cabin... Elizabeth feigned seasickness and did not appear. So Charlie Carroll goes to her room. You're not seasick, Elizabeth. You and I have sailed rougher waters than these. But I don't want anything to eat, Charles. Now, please, darling, you can't go on like this. You've got to pull yourself together. I know, I know. But what am I going to do? I'm bewildered. A few days ago, I was positive he didn't love me and I didn't love him. Now this happens and everything has changed. How do you mean? Well, now I'm sorry for him. And the indifference has changed to something else. Changed to pity? Perhaps that's it. You mean you don't want to divorce him now? I don't see how I could. Afraid of what people would say? Oh, no. But somehow it just doesn't seem right. Now Tom's different. Maybe it took this darkness to show him the light. I mean... Oh, I don't know what I mean. No, no. Elizabeth... (laughs) 
Come on, darling, get a hold of yourself. Oh, Joe. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Don't say anything, darling. Everything will turn out all right. I know what to do. Charles, you're a darling. I don't know what I'd have done without you all these long weeks. Now, I'll just take it easy. Well, I... take a look at that, Doctor. We certainly ought to apologize, but we were stricken dumb. Marge, what are you talking about? Oh, dear, the sweet little innocence. You give them a lecture on life, Doctor. Now, wait a minute, Marge. For three weeks, Charles has been busy, busy, busy. And this is why. What a nice way to be busy. Marge, please. You're jumping to conclusions. Jumping? Are you kidding? Charles has been avoiding me for three weeks, and there's the reason in all her glory. Marge, you're out of your mind. You can't believe such a thing. Of course not. Not unless I heard it, and I heard it and saw it. Tom would just love to hear about this. Marge, you mustn't. No. Watch me. Just watch me. Don't worry, Elizabeth. I'll stop her. What is it, Doctor? Come in. Tom, I want to talk to you. What do you want, Doctor? I want you to turn the ship around and go home. Oh, but that's silly. You needn't worry about me. I think you should turn around. What are you so upset about? I insist that you take the ship back. You seem frightened, Doctor. What do you anticipate? Uh, an unpleasant situation exists aboard the ship. What? I'd rather not say. But I don't want to return. Unless you can give me a good reason. Can you? I'd rather not say. You're afraid of me, aren't you? Certainly not. I know what's troubling you. You know that I know about you. You and Elizabeth. What? Why, you're crazy. You and my wife have been seeing each other for weeks and weeks. You realize now that I know the truth. You're afraid that I might do something drastic. That I might kill you. Such nonsense. Wait a minute. Is that why you were so insistent that I come on the trip? Maybe. I don't know where you got such an idea, but you're all mixed up. If she's been seeing anybody, it hasn't been me. <laughs> oh, come now. I didn't want to tell what I know, but I see now that I'll, I'll have to. You come with me to Elizabeth. Elizabeth? You expect me to believe that she'll tell the truth? You come along just the same. Let's wait till morning. Pretty rough weather tonight. Waves are breaking clear over the decks. No, I don't want to wait till morning. Now... Very well, Doctor. <laughs> if you insist. I'll lead the way. Doctor, wouldn't want you to get washed over the side. That'd be too bad. We'll go around by the stern, up the other side. Look out, here comes a big one. Hang on. <clears throat> Doctor, where are you? Doctor! I've got him, Mr. Northcott. He almost went over. Is he? All right, Captain. He got a deep wound in the back of his head. Must have struck the opposite rail when the wave hit. I think he's dead, Northcott. Dead? Good Lord. Uh, he's dead, all right. Uh, I'll get him off the deck before we hit another big one. Better get back to your quarters, Mr. Northcott. Hang on to the rail. Elizabeth, are you here? Yes, Tom. What's wrong? Something terrible has happened. An accident. An accident? What is it? It's Dr. Elston. He's dead. Dead? 
What are you saying? He was coming along the after deck, and a big wave came over and washed him against the opposite side. Struck his head. The captain says he's dead. Well, why don't you say something? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Charlie, I, I didn't know you were here. She's fainted. Fainted? Really? Well, that's strange. Elizabeth. You're all right, darling. Here, drink this. John. John. Oh, John. Oh, here you are, Tom. You're just the one I wanted to see. Yes, Marge. What's the matter with her? She fainted when I informed her that Dr. Elston had been killed. Doctor, what happened? A big wave tossed him across the deck. He struck his head on the opposite rail. Oh, that's... Poor John. Let's turn back. I can't go on. And why can't you go on? I just can't. Please turn back. That's ridiculous. We'll have to bury him at sea, of course, but why shouldn't we go on? Are you out of your mind? No. Why are you so terribly upset about the doctor? Why? How can you ask such a thing? You sound as though you didn't care. Maybe I don't. But it's very obvious that you do. You're out of your mind. Would you faint if anything happened to me? No. But the doctor... That's different. What are you trying to say? What? You. You and the doctor. I found out days ago. You tried to blame me, but I know differently now. I received a letter from someone telling me that you were running around with a certain man. That man was John Elston. I never heard of such a lie. I haven't seen John in weeks. Who sent you that letter? I did. But I wasn't referring to John. You sent it. And who did you mean? I meant you. You and Elizabeth. You've been seeing each other every day for weeks. You and Elizabeth think you're clever, but you're not. You sent the letter? Yes. And it wasn't John? No, it was Charles. I've seen them. They've been meeting every day for weeks. We have been meeting every day for weeks. You admit it, then. Certainly, but not for the reason you think. You're both stupid. Then why were you meeting? Charles and I are old friends. And he is an attorney, my attorney. We've been discussing a divorce. Divorce? Yes, I was determined to divorce you. But Charles tried to talk me out of it. We've been arguing for weeks. Certainly. Marge, you're nothing but a silly little troublemaker. I've known that for a long time. Now, maybe you know why I broke off with you, why I stopped seeing you. I wouldn't trust you across the street. Now do you believe me, Tom? Come in. Mr. Northcott. Dr. Elston just died. Just died? Why, well, I thought he was dead when you found him on the deck. So did I. When I got into his stateroom, he regained consciousness for a few moments. What? Yes. I saw the wave strike, Mr. Northcott. And I also saw what happened just before it struck. Yes, Captain, go on. This man here is Johnson, one of the crew. He was with me when Dr. Elson regained consciousness. Tell him what the doctor said just before he died, Johnson. Well, Dr. Elson said that he was walking ahead of Mr. Northcutt as he struck him on the head with something. He fell and the wave washed him across the deck. That's right. Then he died. Search, Mr. Northcutt, Johnson. This is ridiculous. I own this ship. But I'm the captain. Sorry, Mr. Northcutt. Here you are, Captain. A gun. Mr. Northcott, you're under arrest. And you're fired, both of you. Yes, Mr. Northcott, that's to be expected, but not until we tie up in New York. It's quite natural that you'll have no further use for this ship after I turn you over to the police. You're a fool. Johnson, radio port officials in New York and ask Mr. Swenson to put about. Well, Tom, you had a plan, a setup for a perfect crime. But like all so-called perfect crimes, it failed. You jumped to conclusions, worked a little too fast. Marge was wrong in her suspicions, and you followed along without investigating the source of the letter. Now Marge has lost Charles forever, and you have certainly, definitely lost Elizabeth. And you deserve what's coming to you. 
You planned the cruise with a diabolical purpose, and furthermore, you did not lose your eyesight. That was a hoax, a trick to trap the man. But very soon you will lose your sight and your hearing and your speech. In fact, you lose all your faculties because you'll be dead. I know. <laughs> CBS has presented the Whistler. Original music for this production was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Next week, same time... I, the Whistler, will return to tell you another unusual story. Good night. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970. Or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. I also have a YouTube page. I should say YouTube channel, Terror Radio. Please check it out. Subscribe. Like and share the videos. Will be highly appreciated. Again, Five days until All Hallows Eve, better known as Halloween. And I am geeked. <laughs> this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>